0: Hey, it's Damon. It's been quite a week for me. I've been on the road for work the entire week, and now I'm at the Untangling Our Roots conference in Louisville, Kentucky. It's been amazing to connect face-to-face with adoptees from around the country, Jane from Australia, and even some former guests of the show. I got to meet Jennifer Diane Ghoston of the Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land podcast for the first time. My former guests Dee, Emma, Jennifer, and others came up to say hi, and I even made new contacts with Dave and MC and so many more. Unfortunately, all of this running around means I'm a little bit hoarse, and I got behind on this week's show, so I hope you don't mind if I insert a classic here until I'm able to get back on track next week. There's a whole season of incredible adoptee stories ahead, and we're about to cross 200 episodes real soon, so I promise I'll be back. Until then, stay safe and be well, and remember, we're all going through something, so please, be kind to each other. Okay, here's the show. And
1: so my search kind of stopped there for some time. It really stopped for probably... Ten years or so before I was even really looking again, I kind of decided at that point, look, what I have in my fantasy is all I need. I don't necessarily want the truth. That truth may not be what I want to hear.
0: Who am I?
1: Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Who am I?
0: Who am I? This is Who am I? Really? a podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. Hey, it's Damon, and on today's show, I'm joined by Leah. Now, we've all been online and found ourselves going down what seems like a rabbit hole of content that's automatically fed to us. But what if that rabbit hole led you straight to your family of origin? In Leah's case, after years of searching on and off for her relatives... It turned out that she just needed a little bit of luck online. I'm so glad that Andrea was able to connect us. So tell me a little bit about your family growing up, your family structure and, you know, as an adoptee, where you fell in your family and how it was in your community.
1: Yeah, well, I was adopted at six months of age. I was the first child they adopted, so I was the oldest. Let's see. They adopted me in October of 1974. Didn't know much information about any of the birth details or birth family, but they adopted me then, and then eventually, I think I was about five, they adopted my brother and my sister, who were natural siblings, so I was the oldest of three of us.
0: So you're the oldest of three total adoptees, but the other two are biological siblings to each other.
1: That's correct, yep.
0: Gotcha. And how did everybody get along? How was adoption perceived or talked about in your family? How did they make you feel comfortable with it?
1: Yeah, it was actually always, I mean, I don't remember a time not knowing I was adopted. My adopted mother was also adopted as a baby, and so she was really open about it. She always had told us from day one, but she made it like a really special thing. Like it was a special gift to be an adopted kid because my parents got to pick me. And so, like, they Mm -hmm. chose me out of, and it made it, you know, it made it seem like a special thing. So it was never something that I felt like I was, you know, rejected or abandoned. I always, it was always presented as, it was this amazing gift that they got to choose, choose, and they chose me. And that made me special somehow. It was a great way to kind of fall in through that, because mom was just great about it. She was real open. She would talk about all that. She would talk about her own experience and she would talk about wanting to know her history. So she was pretty understanding of all of the, the feelings that we would have as we, you know, kind of grew up.
0: What was her experience with her own adoption and wanting to know her own history? Had she launched her own search to try to locate her biological relatives or her family of origin?
1: I don't think she searched herself. I tell the story of her birth father showing up one day randomly at her and knocking on her door, and they talked. They didn't really ever develop any kind of relationship, um, and I don't know that they ever even had contact after that. I think she was told that her family was a heavy Italian family and that it was in their culture that the firstborn, they didn't want a girl, they would want a boy. And so she has been get up because of that, is, is my understanding of what she told us. Um, so she didn't have as much feeling of wanting to reconnect with that family.
0: Oh, that's really interesting. But you did. So tell me a little bit about growing up when you first started to really feel like you were interested in locating somebody in your family of origin. What did it feel like and what were some of the triggers for that?
1: Well, I think that probably came in my teens where I started really questioning things, wanting to know where I came from. What was my family of origin like? Was I like them? Was I like the family that raised me? How did all of that kind of work? You know, the whole nature versus nurture argument. I was questioning what parts of me were because I was raised where I was raised, and what parts of me were, were me, like the the me that my genetics had provided. So I was I started getting really curious. I also I have very olive skin and different features that people would classify as ethnic and people were asking, was I biracial? and were asking all of these questions about um, what my heritage was, and I didn't know those answers, and I really was curious. I wanted to know, like, where where do I come from? Where do I fit in all this? Um, so it was it was mostly just a curiosity, and it it kind of developed as I was just trying to figure out who who was I at that, that time in your life, in your teens and early twenties, where you're just trying to kind of figure out where in this world you fit, and where did I come from? How am I this? You know? Mm -hmm. So it was really just curiosity more than anything and wanting I really wanted to know about my heritage. I wanted to understand what that was. That was that was my intrigue, I guess.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. If you feel like you possibly don't necessarily look exactly like your adopted family. I could definitely see how that could be one of the triggers in my own story. I was very fortunate that my mother is somewhat light-skinned African-American in my adopted family. My dad is somewhat dark-skinned, and I'm right in the middle. So I kind of look like I'm the product of them. So I didn't necessarily have that visual trigger like some other adoptees do who are cross-culturally adopted. So you're in your teenage years. You're reaching young adulthood. Uh, I would imagine at some point you just said, let me see what I can find out. How, how did you go about that?
1: I definitely, in my early 20s, kind of started looking as much as I could. By law in Ohio, the records at, up to a certain date were sealed, and you were unable to access any information at all. So I really had very little to go on. Um, I had a piece of paper that my adoptive mom had taken notes down when she got the They were basically like scribbles of information, um, hard to read, not even complete sentences, just kind of scribbled pieces of information that, you know, my mom was a, a young mom and my grandfather was a principal of some school and a pastor and just little bits and pieces, but nothing, nothing that was real concrete. So I started searching. I actually, I was a teacher at a preschool and my one of my coworkers' daughter had found her, and so she was telling me how she had connected with her daughter and so I started trying to figure out well, how can I get the usage of information, and where do I go? started searching uh, called I think it was the Clark County Children's home, um which is where I had been adopted out of, and they told me basically, "Look, your stuff is sealed. we can't give you any information." I tried to get even just some identifying information, and they were like, "We don't have anything. we can't give you anything so basically that's where my search stopped. I did Consider several times looking at you know possibly hiring a detective or someone to kind of do the research and see what they could find. But I never did that. And quite frankly, I think I was probably a little scared of what I might find. I had been brought up that adoption was okay and that um, it was I was special because I was adopted. And so I had this you know kind of background of that, and I had these this fantasy idea of what my birth parents looked like and who they were, and I was afraid I would get disappointed if I found out for sure Mm -hmm. who knew who they were. And maybe they, you know, I, I guess in my fantasy, it was like, well, my mom, you know, the young mom, she was scared. She did what she thought was the right thing for me. It was an unselfish thing to give me a blah, blah, blah. But what if that wasn't true? What if I found out that my mom really didn't want me and she really didn't want me to find her? And so my search kind of stopped there for some time. It really stopped for Probably 10 years or so before I was even really looking again, I kind of decided at that point, look, you know, what I have in my fantasy is all I need. I don't I don't necessarily want the truth. That truth may not be what I want to hear.
0: Yeah. After 10 years of thinking about it, you really have probably comforted yourself into realizing you have a great life and there might not be any reason to rock the boat. So then what happened after 10 years?
1: I was coming upon my 40th birthday, and I think that's a time in people's lives where we start, again, hitting that who am I again period in our life where we're trying to really explore, you know, where we came from, why we're here, where we're going, and it was November 2013, and I ordered a DNA test from Family Finder's website, um, which is one of those ancestry websites, and I was mostly just trying to find out, again, some ethnic background. I also was curious about some medical things. My son, who was eight at the time, was having some medical problems, and we were trying to get some answers on what was going on with him. So there were a couple of reasons where I started going, you know, hmm, I really sort of want to know something, whatever I can find. And I knew I couldn't access my records, so I thought, well, I'll try the DNA route, never Put the test. I got it in the mail. It went in a drawer and I I just left it there. I never sent it.
0: Was that out of fear?
1: I think so. I think if if I'm being real with myself, it was probably a lot of fear of just, do I really want to open this, you know, can of worms? Like, is it really going to be what I'm wanting? Um, or is it going to be something that could be, you know, could hurt me and hurt my family? So I just kind of left it there and didn't do anything with it. And I actually really wasn't actively searching the day I saw my mom. I had not, uh, I certainly was think a lot about it. And I think maybe there was some spiritual realm of me that was searching somewhere for some answers, but I wasn't doing anything physically to search.
0: You didn't have any active tactics. You were just kind of thinking about it still, but not necessarily actively involved in a search. Before you go on, I'd love to know where your adopted family is now with your desire to search. Have you openly informed them that you're kind of thinking about it and looking? Or is this still something that's in the back of your mind that you haven't necessarily shared? You know, 10 years ago, she handed you this scribbled note, and I presume nothing came of it. Where was her mindset at the time over those 10 years? Did you talk about it much? Did you tell her after 10 years that you were thinking again?
1: No, I think I have always been very protective of my adoptive family, so I didn't, I didn't tell them I even had questions, so we didn't talk about it. I always, if it came up at all, you know, I would say, oh, I don't need to find anything, you know, I have you guys, I have my parents. And so I don't think they knew that I had those questions. I'm sure they knew I had questions about who I was or my identity, but I don't think that I ever shared that I was doing any kind of searching.
0: How about with your siblings? Did you talk about it at all with your siblings? I mean, they are adoptees too, you've got a little bit of a bond there. Did you discuss it at all with them?
1: I think we did talk throughout the years, you know, some about it. My sister especially, I think, really wanted to find out some information. I just was never really fully actively searching. You know, we would talk about curiosities and things like that, but we never, I never had really engaged myself in the active search. And so I, I didn't talk much about it other than, you know, to tell them, yeah, you know, I can see wanting to know. And they, my sister really wanted to know. She really wanted to search. She didn't, hasn't done any active searching either, but I think she was really um, wanting to find out where she had come from as well.
0: Yeah. So I'm getting excited now because I'm realizing you said, I'm not actually actively searching for her when you found her. So tell me, how did this go down?
1: Yeah. Well, it was a slow day in my office. I worked at the prosecutor's office as a victim advocate. My boss and I were in our office. We were having some downtime. Both of us were kind of scrolling around on Facebook at our separate computers and talking to my boss happened upon the post of a young man looking for his birth parents. He originated from Springfield, Ohio, too, and was also adopted out of Clark County Children's Home. So it kind of sparked a discussion between us, and she was like, hey, you know, you were from Springfield, too. Look at this guy. He's looking for his mom. And she had, had, in fact, her and I together had searched online probably five or six years before to see if we could find out any information and had not found anything as usual. And so she was on the computer, saw that post, we started talking about it. And she's like, oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to go look at the Clark County Children's Home site again. So she goes to that website and I'm really not thinking much about it because I know that, you know, my information sealed at that point so that I can't get any access from there. And she's clicking around and we've tried to recreate it. We have no idea how it happened, but this page popped up and it was a adoption search page. It was a posting that had been posted in May of 2006, so eight years prior to that. And it only said a few things. It said surname Heath um, and daughter born 22nd, 1974 in Springfield, Ohio. I'm not aware that she's even looking at anything. She turns to me and she's like, yeah, I think I found something. And I'm like, uh, what? You know? And I turn and she just covers up the computer with her hand and she's like, do you really want to know this? And I'm like, what are you talking <laughs> about? And she lifts her hand and, and we see this post, you know, Heath, daughter born, April 22nd, second, I'm just like, What's going on? You know, I was in shock. I was kind of like, what is this? Didn't really think it was anything. I kind of immediately talked to myself out of, this is nothing, this is nothing. You know, it's just some weird coincidence or something. And she goes, no, 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 think about this. Like a daughter born this day, your day. In Springfield, Ohio, it's a small city. Like, how many daughters would have been born that day that were given up for adoption? She's so it's like, this could really be it. And I'm just immediately, like, backtracking. Like, I'm kind of intrigued, but I'm also, like, really skeptical. Like, mm-mm, this isn't it. This is nothing. This is nothing. So, I kind of get to the point where I'm like, all right, this is, this is certainly intriguing, if nothing else. And I... I'm thinking, you know, this post was posted eight years ago and there's the only thing it has is like a little link where you can contact the poster. So I click on it and I'm like, even if it is anything, this information is eight years old, like the email that it's gonna link to is probably an old email, it's probably outdated, like this isn't gonna go anywhere. I send the email to that poster basically just saying, Look, I was born. On this day um, in Springfield, Ohio, I want to talk to you. And I'm thinking, eh, if I hear back anything, it's going to be days, weeks, months, if anything, you know. And I'm, and this email may be so outdated that it's nothing. Well, it's like 15, 20 minutes. I get this response back on my email. And it's a woman named Sarah. And she says, yeah, I think you could be my daughter. And I'm like, oh, this is crazy. <laughs> wow. I've been shocked. Yeah, I mean, it was just really overwhelming and really i was excited but i was terrified and i was in shock uh-huh. you know i just didn't know where this was going and every part of me was like protecting myself like this isn't real this isn't real like don't get your hopes up don't get excited this isn't it and even you know even if she is it she may be this horrible person you know it was just my brain was going all these different yeah. places and, and really ultimate
0: self-defense
1: Totally. So I was really, really trying to protect myself. But we start writing back and forth and um, she's on Facebook and I'm, you know, looking at her picture and she's looking at my Facebook page and looking at my picture and we're like, hmm, this is interesting. Like there's definitely some resemblance. I don't know, maybe, you know, it wasn't anything that was like just crazy, but it was like, well, mm, this could be something. And then she goes, I want to send you a picture of when I was 21. You're not going to believe it. She's like, oh my God, you look just like me. I'm like, eh, you know. So I start looking around trying to find this picture her at twenty one. I can't find it, and um, she's looking for it too. And finally, she emails it, and I pull up this image on my computer, and I'm looking at myself. You know, oh my it's like that's me. That's me, but but it's not me. There's something like I mean, I literally thought when I okay, she's got a picture of me. How she get a picture of me? You know, <laughs> like, not me. It's me, but that's that is my face on this picture. That's my, you know. So it's like that's oh,
0: unbelievable. My
1: God. We knew, you know, we knew it was it was her. So that's kind of where it started, and, and we I think we spent, like, days upon months of just chatting back and forth. Um, we instantly tried to start getting the records unsealed, because I was still, you know, I was like, look, we got to be cautious here. Like, it certainly seems like this is it, but... Still that, you know, really protective side of me was like, this isn't it. This is, it was real skeptical. So even though I'm looking at a picture that looks like me, I'm still saying in my mind, like, don't do this. You're getting yourself excited. This isn't it.
0: Did you detect the same caution from her?
1: Not not as much. She felt like as soon as she saw the picture that was it for her she knew um, and she had she had called her sisters and said look at her you know look at this picture um, and they were all like yeah this is this is it this is her but i was just i think i was i'm kind of the person that was waiting for the other shoe to drop like uh, i don't know i don't want to get my hopes up and then be devastated because i knew i would be i was so excited deep down that this was it. But then I knew if this wasn't it somehow, like I was going to really be devastated.
0: Yeah. I think we all take a lot of caution in something as heavy as this. This is not something that you can just redo easily. So of course this is a, a place to be as slow and methodical and cautious as possible so as to preserve your own sanity, let alone, like you've said, the just the potential for a tremendous letdown if in fact this isn't it. But this sounds like this is it. So what did you guys do next? You've reached out, you started to unlock the records, or try to. What else did you do?
1: I, I worked for attorneys, so I started talking with them and trying to figure out how we could expedite. Basically, we were told it was going to be a process and it could take months and I was like, no, 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 I need to answer like yesterday like this is you know i need to know and and this woman needs to know like we've got our families involved like tara has a huge family she has i think five siblings so All the family's starting to get involved, and everybody's starting to get excited. And my kids, I was telling my kids, you know, this is this is something, this might be something. So I really, I felt like we had to know right away. She had that same urgency. It was like, we have to know the truth. We need to know. But the courts were telling us, like, it's going to take months. You know, we don't know how, this is what you got to do. And it was, it wasn't complicated. Uh, It was a time issue, and we were just like, No, we need this, you know. Um, So I got my lawyers that are friends of mine involved and they kind of helped um, with figure out what we needed to do. We got the paperwork, and we then had to wait. It actually took a month to get the paperwork back, actually confirming that Sarah indeed was my mom. I mean, we knew, so we started developing a relationship before we even got that paper back. But March 14, 2014, we finally got the paperwork back. But yes, indeed, she is my mom.
0: That's so amazing. What, what did the paperwork say, or what did you learn from her about your adoption, the circumstances, and things like that?
1: Well, she was... Raised in a very religious family. She describes it as a good childhood, good family, um, but very strict, very conservative. Um, and she, of course, I was born in the 70s, so she was coming from out of a conservative pastor family background, um, to freedom at 18. Um, she had just graduated high school. Her parents had moved, I think, to Arizona at that point. Um, she was still in living with her brother. She, Got pregnant. She describes it as like she went into this like kind of it's, it's a strange, really intense denial. I guess she just basically convinced herself it wasn't happening to her body. So her body's you know starting to change, and she just basically convinced herself she wasn't pregnant. She didn't gain a lot of weight, so no one knew. Um, she only gained I think ten pounds with me, um, wow. and so she wore baggier shirts and she covered it up, and she basically pretended that I didn't exist. She was just like totally terrified I think as a young girl and overwhelmed and scared to tell anyone and really just pretended this wasn't happening to me. So she went about her life kind of on a day-to-day basis as she always did and just sort of, you know, I didn't exist in her mind. And then she, the night she went into labor with me, she said she woke up and had this feeling and urge and she got herself up and went and said to her brother, hey, I think I'm having a baby. Can you take me to the hospital? And he didn't even know she was pregnant. So it was just kind of a crazy ordeal. Oh, my uh, ordeal. Goodness. Um, but he, he takes her to the hospital. She states that I was delivered very quickly. I was a very fast-coming baby, so I was delivered very quickly. She remembers little bits and pieces. She says that a psychiatrist actually told her years ago that during that time period, they may have given her some type of medication that would kind of make her foggy. Um, So she doesn't remember a lot of detail, but she said that she remembers the nurse coming in asking if um, she wanted to hold me and that she told the nurse no and, and that she knew that if she held me, she wouldn't be able to let me go. And she she wanted to let me go. So she, uh, she did not even get to see her baby, hold her baby, nothing. She said she remembered leaving the hospital and she went back to work and just kind of pretended like nothing happened. And nothing, you know, it never had happened. None of her family, her brother and her, never talked about it. She never told anyone out for years about it. Just kind of went back to her life and pretended it happened. And then she describes kind of as the year's progressing that she started having problems with it.
0: Wow, that is just unbelievable. So now you've learned a lot of this history. Some of this, I know how this goes. You learn some of it from the piece of paper that you get from the adoption agency. And you learn some of it from your biological mother. And it starts to get conflated which things you knew from the paper and which things you learned from her. But I would love to hear now, how did you start to figure out, like, I want to meet you? Where should we go? What should we do? What was that like?
1: Pretty much from the time we sat on blind, she said everything a, an adopted child would want to hear from their birth parents. She did it all right. She said, you know, all of the things I probably yearned to hear as that child had been given up. She was honest about her history. She, you know, she explained she didn't know who my father was. Um, she never hid anything. She was embarrassed and she was guilty um, and she was sorry and regretful and she was very loving and very open and, and wanted so much to have this relationship so it was really easy for me to want to have that relationship back with her she was so beautiful and loving in the way that she um, handled everything and so open and so honest and you know said it as it was and I respected that and I was like yeah I, I want to have a relationship with this person and I saw a lot of me in this person you know I saw that sort of just a big heart and she's a very honest and open person she doesn't hide things she says them as they are and, and I respected that and And I loved seeing that part of me in her. I was like, yeah, I want to have this relationship. I want this to go somewhere.
0: So what did you do? How did you decide that you were to meet and when you were going to do it? Who would be there? Tell me about the moment.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, we decided that um, she would come for my 40th birthday. She lives in Arizona, so she's clear across the country. And so we didn't really know how it would all work. But we decided we had to meet this is my 40th birthday. That's a huge birthday, you know, for people. And this was, she was going to come and be with me the day 40 years after she had given birth. And so we just kept talking and arranging things. And she flew in that week. I remember waiting that night. I was at home. Waiting, waiting, waiting for her to come. I think her flights were delayed. My anxiety was like out
0: the roof. I mean, it was just. Oh, I can only Uh, imagine. And it was
1: taking longer and longer for her to get here. And she was frustrated and I was frustrated because things were getting delayed and she wasn't getting out of there. Oh, it was intense. But she finally, a car drives up in my driveway and it's her and my, my Aunt Sally, who's her older sister, who she's very close to. And they got out of the car and I went out. We embraced and sobbed and laughed and cried. It It was amazing.
0: Yeah, that must have been unbelievable.
1: It was. It was intense. I remember, like, I mean, it was so, like, it was amazing to hold my mother for the first time and to see her, you know, but it was also, like, it was terrifying, and it was awkward, and, you know, none of, neither of us knew. We're both a little more shy, and so it was, it was hard for us to, like, know what to say, or, you know, we had talked nonstop for several months on chats and messaging, but it was like, here she is. What do I say now? <laughs> what do I do? Right. You know, it was awkward. It was amazing. It wasn't, like, this comforting moment. It was kind of like, okay, now what? <gasps> what do we do?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's 40 years that suddenly smashes together online and now you're face-to-face with this person. And this isn't just, you know, a small relationship. This is the whole reason you're even here. So I can't even imagine. I I remember how intense it was for me. I can only imagine how it was for you too. So how are things now with you guys?
1: It's really good. We talk regularly. We typically on chat or or messaging, it is a little harder because she's clear across the country, but she's come here about once a year. We've seen each other, or she's came to Ohio, and once a year, I've gone there. So we kind of see each other in person a couple times a year, but we're talking regularly. We're chatting. We've developed Mm -hmm. definitely, I would say, a pretty close relationship. And my aunt, uh, her older sister, who she's really close with, lives in Versailles, which is about an hour for me. So my aunt and my cousin and I get together really very regularly for lunches and massages and you know, fun stuff like that. So
0: (laughs) awesome. Do you have um half siblings?
1: I do, and that was one of the most exciting parts for me is Sarah has two daughters, Megan and Callie. Megan is thirty four years old now and Callie's thirty two. And I started connecting immediately and it was amazing to see like how much we're alike. Again, it's sort of that nature versus nurture, like, you know, the parts in me that I see and it's it's crazy to see those connections. But And Callie and I instantly started talking right about the same time I started talking to Sarah, Callie and I started connecting immediately. Megan um has a son who is, I believe, he's now nine and he looks a lot like my kids. So that's kind of fun. They have, my kids and him have uh, some relationship. They've got to play together and hang out together and, you know, they send cards and presents back and forth. And um, so it's been really amazing.
0: Mm-hmm. And have you had the chance to introduce your family of origin to your adopted family?
1: Yeah, Sarah wrote both my adopted parents' letters immediately after meeting, basically thanking them for what they had done um, raising me. And they were really beautiful letters. So that started that way. And then they have met through, we've had some birthday parties for the kids when Sarah's been here. My parents have also been at us it. and it's awkward. You know, I want to be protective and sensitive to my adopted family and make sure they're not getting hurt feelings. But I also, like, want to share my joy of of my relationship with Sarah. It can be awkward. It can be strange at times. I think there's been um, times where my adopted family has, felt threatened by that relationship. And some of it I keep, you know, I I kind of keep more private, you know, between me and Sarah as to not hurt them.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And that's really thoughtful. It's a challenging balance to be so excited for having discovered the person that brought you into the world but similarly pay mindful respect to the people who have loved you since that moment and really brought you to that moment it's it's a hard balance but you know if you go about it thoughtfully as you have it can work out just fine so i was going to ask you what looking back might you have done differently? What would you change?
1: You know, I've thought about that quite a bit, and I don't know that I would change anything. I thought, you know, would I go find her and do my search more back then? But I feel like, and I've never been a real believer in, like, you know, meant to be and fate and those type of things. I, I was never really a believer in that until the moment that that, that page popped up on my coworker's computer. And right. It was like it was just, it was meant to be, and I feel like it was meant to be the way it it was, and that, you know, maybe if we had met earlier or in a different circumstance, it it wouldn't be the same connection that it is now. It provided me with a lot of healing and, and sort of this wholeness of my being that I didn't have before, and I think that it was meant to be when it happened and the way it happened. Certainly, I try to be sensitive and try to be thoughtful of the people that are affected by it. But I think it was, it happened just the way it was supposed to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and spectacularly. I mean, the amazing luck of a pop-up window that would lead you to your biological past is just unbelievable. Thank you so much for sharing your story. It was really amazing to hear it finally. I've been talking with you online for so long. I was really, really interested to hear the words come from your mouth. But thank you for sharing your emotions and your journey. This was just unbelievable. Oh,
1: well, thank you, Damon. I really appreciate that you're doing this. I think it's a fun adventure for all of us that are... you know, trying to find out those, the past history and the past keys to our to our beings so thank you so much
0: no my pleasure all the best to you guys and to your family all right take care it's good to talk to you leah hey it's me what a crazy story leah has she was just randomly online one day with a coworker when an adoption registry they stumbled on accidentally led her straight to her biological mother that's just incredible I know everyone isn't nearly as lucky as this, but I hope you're as happy as I am for Leah that things turned out the way that they did. And I hope you'll find something in Leah's journey that inspires you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn who am I really? This episode was edited by Sarah Fernandez. If you would like to share your story of locating and connecting with your biological family, visit Who Am I Really Podcast dot com slash share.